Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. The Bible and the crucifix became frequent flyers at 90 McMinn's Drive, Humpty Doo. Seems this poltergeist didn't take kindly to any type of priest trying to exorcise them. So many people witnessed the phenomena at Humpty Doo, but some declared it a hoax. Join us as we dig deeper into this episode of True Hauntings, the Humpty Doo Poltergeist of Australia. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. So, Renata, it's been a big weekend. We've been recovering from Halloween and everything that went down with that. Yeah, we are absolutely in recovery mode, that's for sure. Three big tours, Mm -hmm. one on the Friday night, two back-to-back at the jail, and they went off. They <laughs> were Don't forget amazing. we had a TV interview in between. We did. We did. We travelled. We yep. had a bit of a ghost story oh, that do. happened yes. on the Friday night because we finished the, the jail tour on the Friday night. We drove to Sydney. We stayed in a motel. We got there about quarter past two in the morning, and this one always has to have a shower before she goes to bed no matter what time it is. <laughs> That's true. And uh, so I've jumped into bed straight away. Don't mind being dirty in bed. Um, that really sounds wrong, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so she's having a shower and I'm starting to just doze and then – it was quiet and I felt something brush along the side of my sheets and I've opened my eyes and go, what do you want? I think it's Renata and there was no one there. Renata? And I've looked at the bed, which I thought she must have been in by now, and then I heard noises coming from the bathroom and realised she was still in the bathroom and there was nobody there. But you didn't tell me this. I didn't tell you. I just you, shut up about it. You didn't tell me any of this until we were driving home on the Saturday and I happened to mention something that happened to me. And I said, I had this weird experience in the morning during the night. I'd gotten into bed and I'm 
getting myself all comfortable and nice and I've stuck my foot out. Just, You're a very just clean to, foot. Just to keep the temperature on an even keel because I get hot. And then all of a sudden I feel the sheets come up over my foot as if someone's popping the sheets over me to, to you know, cover me up. And for a moment I'm thinking, did that just actually happen? Okay. Yes, it actually happened. And I'm very, very still because I'm just about to go to sleep. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's weird. And I thought, I'll just stay awake or try and stay awake for a little while longer just to see if anything happens. But nothing did. I fell asleep. But I thought, hmm, that's really weird. I've never had that happen before where I'm actually being tucked into bed. And so I didn't say anything to you until we're having this big drive. And I say, guess what happened to me last night? And then you turn around and go, well, guess what happened to me last night? And that's why it's always important to let the other person know experiences you've had because they might be having them too. Absolutely. So we've been in this room and from when your thing happened to my thing happened, it was about 20 minutes yeah. to half an hour. Yeah. So whatever was there hung around until it made sure that we were both nicely tucked into bed. And it was looking after us. And it was looking after us. But you know what? Let's get on to the Humpty Doo poltergeist. Yes, this is going to be a fascinating story. It was a wild and stormy night. Rain was coming, black ominous clouds rolled across the land. Lightning flashed through the ether and thunder grumbled ominously. The residents of 90 McMinn's Drive Humpty Doo sat on their patio, chilled beers at hand, enjoying nature's show. There were two young couples, Andrew and Kirsty Aegis. Dave Clark and his partner Jill Somerville, plus their mate Doug Murphy. All five were in their mid-twenties to early thirties. Inside the house, fast asleep, was Kirsty and Andrew's ten-month-old daughter Jasmine. As nature's magnificent light show crashed and flashed in the sky, strange and decidedly unnatural things started to happen. Small pebbles began flicking out of the shadows and landing amongst the friends. They assumed that someone had sneaked onto their rented two-hectare property to play silly buggers with them. They called out to the cheeky so-and-sos, but when the prankster failed to respond to their shouts, they got up and tried to track them down. No one, or no thing, could be found. Perplexed? They tired of the pebble throwing and moved inside only to have the pebbles follow them. Showers of centimetre-wide stones, seemingly from their 70-metre-long gravel driveway, landed on the floors, tables, beds and heads from thin air. Even though there was a wild storm outside, all the pebbles that fell indoors were bone dry and distinctly warm to touch. They felt like they were going crazy. But being practical people, one of the housemates fetched a ladder to check if there was something amiss in the loft. One of the men climbed the ladder with roommates holding their breath below 
carefully cracked open the ceiling manhole, wondering what they would find, and was immediately attacked with showers of stones falling upon their upturned faces. And it didn't stop. Later that night, to their increasing dismay, knives, small batteries, spanners, shards of broken glass and other objects began to drop or to hurtle across rooms. Then things came to a head one Saturday night when it seemed their persecutor meant to actually drive them from their house, littering the floor with a blizzard of stones, wrenching appliances from shelves, upturning mattresses and creepiest of all making sinister scraping noises inside the internal walls right next to where they lay their heads to sleep. The ladies of the house were terrified. They couldn't sleep and sobbed in horror at the whirlwind of chaos around them. They would have packed up and left, but they had nowhere else to go. What would you have done? Run? Fight for your home and family or call for help? Join us in this episode of True Hauntings to find out who won this battle. So you may be asking yourself, where in the hell is Humpty Doo? Well, it's actually 47 kilometres from Darwin, on the Arnhem Highway in the Northern Territory. And the unusual name? Well, there was a station or a property in the area known as Umpetidoo, but no one knows why the station was given that name. Humpty Doo probably came from Humpty Dumpty, which was an expression in Australian vernacular meaning upside down. And there is a suggestion that there was a Woolner Aboriginal word meaning resting place, but no one is certain. It's a great claim to fame, apart from the poltergeist, that nothing really happened in Humpty Doo. Its great claim to fame, apart from the poltergeist, is the huge failure in the 1950s of an agricultural experiment to grow rice. To grow rice? To grow rice. In the Northern Territory? Yes. No wonder it failed. (laughs) Fog Dam was the focus of national and international interest in the 1950s through development of the Humpty Doo Rice Project. Isn't that a brilliant name? I just love it. It was developed by Territory Rice Limited, which was a joint Australian and American venture, and its founding members included American film and television stars. Okay, so the Americans were going to build a rice paddy farm in the Northern Territory. Do they realise how dry it is up there? Obviously not, (laughs) no. The floodplain below the dam was divided into a series of rice paddy fields that could be flooded seasonally, and the dam was built to provide a water supply. Oh, that sounds like they thought it through. yep. They did think it through, but not enough. So the joint Australia-US company was known as Territory Rice Limited and was established in the 1955s and 56 years, and it received agricultural leases of 303,000 hectares on the floodplain, but it was an absolute and total disaster. The floodplain got so wet the main 10-kilometre irrigation channel to the rice fields could not be constructed until many years later. And by that stage, the rice paddy fields had been abandoned. 
So eventually the Fog Dam site became a bird protection district because they flooded it, which brought all the birds in because they they had no idea what the wet season means. And obviously. The the wet season means it's wet and and, it rains. And (laughs) obviously my strength does not lie in geography because I was thinking it's going to be really hot, dry desert, but they do have the wet season and when have, it rolls yep. in, it's pretty intense. Yeah, and it was on a flood plain. Mm-hmm. So the thing was that it may have been really great as a setup, mm-hmm. but once it flooded, that was it. Yeah, but yeah. let's talk about what it's really famous yes, for. Yes, <laughs> yes, let's get back to the story. So this particular story takes place in Australia in August in 1997. Oh, you must have turned 50 then, Renata. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You're going to kill me, I know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Wait till later. Mm -hmm. Now, this is when Jill Somerville and her partner Dave Clark, who was a mechanic, they moved into a new rental property at 90 McMinns Drive in Humpty Doo. Now, for months, the couple enjoyed their new house in relative peace. It was just a normal family in a normal house in Humpty Doo. But this changed in January 1998 when another family moved in to share. Now, this was Andrew and Kirsty Aegis, along with their nearly one-year-old daughter, Jasmine. And they moved in and, lo and behold weird stuff started to happen Mm, almost immediately. Right. So we have objects like glass and bottles and even knives that would fly through the air with an unseen force behind it. Those in the home felt that these objects were directed at them and that they were under attack. So very weird stuff like gravel and seashells rained down from the ceiling. Now, you can imagine after a few days or weeks of this, they are thinking in their heads something really weird is going on and it must be ghostly. It's got to be a ghost. Yep. So what they try and do is they try to communicate with it using Scrabble tiles to spell out words. Now, that's very clever, actually. Instead of running in fear, they're actually going to try and communicate. And it sounds like in a a sort of fairly respectable sort of way, too. But this particular spirit has different ideas. And yes, it does start to communicate using Scrabble tiles and everything else that it can lay its Ghostly fingers on. Ghostly paws. I had to think about that for a moment. (laughs) So the words were scrawled with marker pens. They would spell out uh, with the Scrabble tiles. And a lot of this was very neat and tidy. They would also use scores of pebbles, each of which had been carefully placed so that only a flat surface faced upwards. They've thought about it. Yeah. The, well, the entity or yes, whatever it may yes. be has. OCD. That's yeah, what I was going to say. It's a very OCD. OCD spirit. poltergeist. Okay. <laughs> so, the most unsettling aspect of the first series of words fire, skin, car, help, and Troy was that they clearly referred to a good mate of the second family that had moved in, Troy Raditz who had been incinerated in a terrible road accident on the Stewart Highway just a couple of kilometres from their property in January, shortly before the first stone fall. Right, okay. So apparently Troy was actually best mates with um, 
Murphy, who was the, the, the fifth person, or sixth person, if you want to count the baby as well, mm-hmm. that lived in the house. Uh, uh, they were best mates, and Troy was actually incinerated in his ute because it was loaded up with thinners, and uh, they crashed it and uh, it went up in flames. How absolutely horrific. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. And then you've got this poltergeist that's supposedly spelling out these words about fire, car and, mm-hmm. and everything else. So on March the 20th, a large cross and trident, both constructed of hundreds of pebbles, also appeared on the floor in the house. Ooh. Now, the large cross, okay, we hear all about crosses Mm -hmm. when it comes to poltergeist stories but the trident is something that really that's unusual yeah it just is weird the trident story i have to admit when i read that i was wondering if it had something to do with the tattoo it popped into my mind maybe i was having a psychic moment but i just felt it was something to do with the tattoo and maybe somebody in the family would have recognized that Tattoo, right. but I'm just I'm blowing up my own skirts at the moment with hot air. <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Hmm. Let's go on. A local school teacher by the name of Annette Taylor and her partner Lloyd Green happened to be visiting when the cross appeared. Lloyd testified later that the formation, which was so neat and perfect, would have taken him hours to make with a straight edge, a square and a rule. So it was perfect, It was really. perfect. And they must have layered in each stone so it just sat perfectly. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. Especially when he says that it was constructed so quickly uh, in a section of the hallway floor that people were repeatedly walking across that evening. Mm. So it must have literally just appeared. Well, I, I remember reading that they were there having like a few wines and a, a bit of a get together, sort of an informal party. And like people were going to and from the toilet and the rooms all night. And mm-hmm. then it just, just it appeared. So more weirdness was to follow. So as soon as Dave touched the gravel, it just flew everywhere. So it pelted down the passageway. It was so loud hitting the walls. The baby woke and started to cry. Oh, the poor chalk. And then the tools started to fly around. So the activity increased and scratches could be heard from inside the walls and appliances were destroyed. And you can imagine just how terrifying this was for the family in this tiny home out in the middle of nowhere at Humpty Doo. Jill Somerville said, It completely freaked us out. It was like something was actually inside the walls right next to us. We couldn't sleep. We were crying. We would have left the house, but we had nowhere else to go. So Jill is one of the the residents of the Humpty Doo house. Yes, and and her and her husband were the first to move in. That's right. Yep. I just always get confused when there's a lot of characters. I'm, Mm. I'm a simple soul. So the local media, of course, began to hear about these strange goings on at the house. And as Humpty Doo was a small township, Guess how the word got around. <laughs> Gossip. Very quickly. <laughs> just like Amateurville, mm-hmm. just a small town. They yep. all talk about it. So what did they do? So what they do, of course, they call for a local priest who happened to be Father Stephen D'Souza. Oh, lovely. To come and help. So the first thing Father Stephen D'Souza does 
And he was from St. Mary's Cathedral, by the way, in Darwin. Oh, so he drove the 45 minutes from Darwin? Yeah, yeah he good did. On uh, he arrived and was looking around the entire house and went into the kitchen. So he noticed a microwave with a steak knife on top of it. And as he walked away, one of the residents called out, Father. I don't turning- reckon they said that. I've got, I reckon they've gone, Father! <laughs> <laughs> He turned around and the knife that was on the microwave had flown straight across at him and literally was in front of his face, just there hovering in the air. There was nobody around and there was nobody that could have thrown it. So nobody was in a position to be able to pick it up and get to that on top of the microwave and throw it at him. Nope. Mm. So there was no time for him to jump out of the way. But when it was about half a metre from his face, Mm -hmm. it stopped. Oh. Just as though it had hit something. Maybe his faith and and Lord Jesus saved his soul. There was was a a big barrier. There's the invisible bubble happening there. And the knife fell to his his feet. Mm. So the priest was unfazed. He had seen it all before, he says. In his native India, he had been called upon to deal with several similar infestations. Wow, I'm impressed that he wasn't fazed by a knife being thrown at his face. I know, right? His take on the situation was that a restless spirit may have been drawn to the house, possibly because of one of the occupants, without being aware of it, was a natural medium. Oh, good heavens. That is actually quite, in my eyes, a plausible explanation. And that's come from a a priest? Yes. Wow. There you go. Well, he was a Jesuit. I don't know whether that makes a difference. Maybe they have... A more open belief system? I don't know. Possibly. So using a Catholic ritual, he attempted to bind the spirit and reassure the tenants that it was very unlikely to physically injure anyone. He admitted, however, that in his experience, prayer rarely caused a poltergeist to cease his activities. He's very forward thinking. I'm I'm liking this guy. (laughs) very forward thinking. The spirit would go away when it was good and ready. Or if its nasty tricks were indeed linked to someone in the house who was an unconscious medium, it might follow that person when they move to a new residence. Now, this is really open-minded thinking for a priest. It is. All the way up in Darwin. I'm actually quite dumbfounded. And I wonder if it's because, as you said, he's come from India. Yeah, where they have all of this stuff all the time. Yeah, they've got all sorts of things happening over there. And um, maybe that's just- Spontaneous combustion of things. Giving him a more open mind. So Father Stephen's prayers gave the household a brief respite. The poltergeist kept its nasty little head down for three days, but then, just as the residents were hoping it was all over, the craziness started again. Next to try popping the poltergeist was Humpty Doo's parish priest, Father Tom English. Oh, here comes Father Tom. Mm-hmm. So during the first four visits, he saw several objects flying in ways that seemed to defy explanation. The poltergeist, he said, doesn't follow the rules of physics. Oh, how dare it? It doesn't follow the rules. So another thing that happened, a pistol cartridge fell from nowhere to land at his feet and other things happened. So Father Tom was getting a little bit worried because he was saying that they fly out of a room that nobody is in. Outside, things come crashing down near people that are walking past and they seem to come out of the sky, out of nowhere. And although he's 
inexperienced at such things, hasn't had much experience when it comes to no, exorcism. Not, not, ex- uh, not much experience with poltergeists. No, no. <laughs> he did bless the place. Oh, bless him. And doused it with holy water. He gave it I a good bath. I can see it with a bucket, wandering around, throwing it. Do you remember being at church? Because both Renato and I grew up with strict Catholic families. Do you remember being close to the aisle when the priest was coming down with I that do. bucket of holy water? And if you were in the wrong spot, you got a bath. That's they it. They flicked that thing and you got a bath. <laughs> That's right. And we went, ah, we're melting. Sorry. <laughs> so far from actually keeping the poltergeist at ease so this, and calming this time it him didn't down, no, the, it went crazy. Everything went berserk. Things were flying around. Um, medicine bottles came flying out of the bathroom. Um, even when the priest departed, leaving a crucifix and a Bible with the anxious residents, mayhem broke out. There were windows being smashed. The poltergeist kept throwing the entire contents of, contents the, house, of really? the house all over it and making really awful noises all night long. Well, that worked well for them. So it obviously did. it liked the Jesuit better than it did the it Catholic. Did. It did. All right. So next we get the Greek Orthodox Ooh. priest. So they're all having to go. And he set up an altar in the kitchen on the table. He blessed each room separately and read arcane passages from a large Black book. Oh, it has to be good if it's a big black book because mm-hmm. we know that all good things come in big black packages. This you might need to cut that. <laughs> Oops. So this didn't seem to help one little bit because he was assaulted by an invisible force that tried repeatedly to wrench the book from his grasp and to twist his right arm behind his back. All the blood had rushed out of his face and he finally sat down. He was bathed in sweat and he declared that whatever it was that was assaulting the family was way more dangerous than he could ever deal with. Another and so honest it was one. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do anything with this. It yeah. was nice meeting oh, you. Yes. I've enjoyed the yes. experience. See you later. Bye. <laughs> So this poltergeist kept on with its antics for the next couple of months. Now, sometimes what was going on happened every minute. Sometimes it was every 20 minutes. Sometimes it was two hours of peace. Sometimes it was once or twice a day. And occasionally there were a couple of days rest in between. Do you imagine living with that? Oh, it would just drain you completely. You just wouldn't know what was going to be thrown at you next. And, like, some of those items were quite dangerous. Mm. The phenomena was spooky, to say the least, but the housemates were tough Aussie men and women and it would have taken something really, really awful to get them out of their house. And as long as they weren't being hurt, which seemed to be the case, the poltergeist would do weird and wonderful things and come very close with stones and objects, knives, whatever it might be that would fly past them. Nothing actually hurt them. And I think the thing that really closed the matter was when they noticed that Jasmine's room, this is the baby, Mm -hmm. was always left undisturbed. So everything was flying around the adults. Nothing seemed to occur around the baby as if the poltergeist said that is out of bounds. 
Weird. So, yeah, the, the protective of the baby, mm-hmm. but was quite happy to tease. It was almost like teasing. Yes. And is it playful? Who knows? Because remember- I'm just I'm just hearing that it's an OCD poltergeist who is protective of children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really but you weird. know, you know how you were saying that there was um, nobody was ever hurt. There was actually the story that I read in one of the articles saying that one of their Maori friends came to visit, and um, she was saying in their belief and culture that. Uh, no, these sorts of entities will not harm you in any way. And in saying that, all of a sudden she got whacked over the the hand with, um, I'm trying to find my, my bit of paper, but I can't find it, but with an item, uh, like a, a wrench or a spanner or something, mm-hmm. and actually hurt her hand. And there is a photo of where her hand, uh, you can see where it was whacked. So I don't know whether they were just smacking her on the wrist to say, I can do what I like, I choose not to hurt you, or or what was happening there. So this is, again, this case of an entity doing what is expected of it, just yes. like at the Blackfriar of Yes, it's like they're listening. Like they're listening. And, and they're trying to almost please them by providing them with what is expected. Mm. So that's really weird. Mm. Yeah. Have we stumbled on something? <laughs> I don't know. We need to do more of these stories. We do, we do. So anyway. Oh, what happens? Here now? we go. Oh. Of course we have to get the media involved. Oh. Yeah. So the local Litchfield Times was tipped off and its editor Jack Ellis and two reporters lob up to the house. They observe the stuff that's going on. So they actually see they're there when something happens. And in no time at all, the story is published and things go ballistic. So the sleep-deprived hauntees are soon inundated with phone calls day and night from radio stations and newspapers as far away as Scandinavia. Oh, good God. <laughs> So they soon sign a contract granting exclusive rights to the story for a week to Sydney's Channel 7. Oh, and it was today, tonight. I know. Such a reputable, um, honest, trustworthy, (laughs) (laughs) no drama or anything going on there. So although the promised $5,000 would be most welcome, they signed mainly in the expectation of being protected from other media harassment. Although the promised $5,000 would have been most welcome, it wasn't why they signed off on it. And if you think about it, $5,000 is $1,000 each, Yeah, which is not like they're making hundreds Uh, of thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars to sell their story and they get a week of their life with a camera crew in there, like the Kardashians, Mm -hmm. um, who even now have got sick of that themselves, uh, trying to film what is going on in their house. Mm -hmm. The main reason, though, was they hoped that if they signed to one channel, everyone else would just leave them alone. They'd flick off. So the entire TV crew quickly became... Believers. 
when they turned up because they found themselves dodging flying objects. They became frustrated when the poltergeist started to play hide and seek with their cameras and move things around on them. And, of course, you know that in these situations cameras turn off, they stop working. Batteries go flat. Batteries (laughs) go flat. Everything starts to happen. Operators with handheld cameras were facing the wrong way when objects started to fly. And it's like the entity literally had eyes and was playing games. Yeah. And as you know from our own investigations where we have cameras set up, the phenomena always happens just in the blind spot where your cameras are Mm -hmm. or you may be looking at it, your camera's pointing the other way, you get to see it, but the camera doesn't. It's it's like we're not meant to capture it. Mm-hmm. It's like they're playing games, it honestly. Is. It's like they're playing games. And, of course, messages like no cameras, no TV, and pig camera appeared on walls and floors to taunt them. Ooh, so the poltergeist is drawing the line and it's yep. saying you can do what you like. See, this is where I start. I know that poltergeist is all about throwing things and it just means noisy ghost, but this has got a hell of a lot of intelligence behind it. Yeah, it does. It does. After 24-hour workdays and great inconvenience to the poor residents, the crew managed only three objects in motion. Oh, wow. Wow. So that was a baby bottle inexplicably falling from the top of the microwave. That that would not have looked terribly impressive, just a bottle falling off. No, a pistol bullet in the last foot or so of its fall and a plastic lid flying from behind a cupboard. Now... All of those things, if you saw them on YouTube today, you would say that's set up. Yeah, that, that was Absolutely. faked. Absolutely. That's just rubbish. Because you can't see the whole scene and what is happening. Um, it's it's not good enough for proof. It's, it's a little bit of evidence, but it's not proof. Yeah, so Channel 7's Today Tonight use the story to great advantage, achieving very high ratings. Oh, you imagine the whole of they, Australia yep, would turn They just that. pushed with it. So finally, to the horror of the poor family and to the dismay of their own cameraman, the program's sceptical city-based producers, having owned the story for a week, decided to scuttle it. Using a doctored video with misleading voiceovers, oh, they attempted to prove no. that they had caught Kirsty in the act of throwing an object. The poltergeist story, they declared, was over. Dead. Yeah, see, this is where I get really annoyed. And I'm, I I have to say that um, a lot of these shows have now been made to pull up their socks and, and do the right thing. But um, by cutting uh, angles of cameras and conversations, you can make a completely different story. Um, having worked in the TV film industry myself, um, you can recut things to tell the audience whatever you feel like, really. Yep, absolutely. But that's not where it ends. The poltergeist has different ideas. It wasn't ready to die just yet. And it continued its pranks while the tenants, feeling used, abused and betrayed, were still waiting for their money. Uh-huh. And... 
they start to get really nasty. And I'm not going to say the words oh, that they use. There's used, a few F-bombs in there. <laughs> but they vowed to disembowel any other media vulture who dared to darken their door. And I don't blame them. So the, the problem with a lot of this is that the camera crew arrived in Sydney they they brought because essentially they um there was the director and he brought four crew from Sydney with him mm-hmm. and they arrived and said this is real we have witnessed this with our own eyes it is the most amazing thing you have ever seen but because they didn't get enough visual stuff there was no story to weave. There wasn't a story. So that, that makes them look a little bit silly as well. Yep. And they probably didn't want to pay the rest of the money. So yep. let's say that it was all faked and then we don't have to pay them, do yep. we? True. I'm not saying that's what happened. I don't know if the money was ever paid. But these people actually wanted their story told and they wanted the world to know that they weren't full of poop. Poop. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to be a good girl and not swear. Um, and... Instead, they've they've been ripped a new one, really, from from TV who are just trying to sensationalise yes. their aspect. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there were so many witnesses who actually saw all of this go down. Unfortunately, though, uh, as we said before, nothing was actually caught on camera. So Three you, little things. Yeah, so you've, you've just got people's words. Yep. Uh, and their own experiences, which you can turn around and say, well, you all made it up. You're all just sitting there making this story up and it's not true. Mm. Yeah. But then. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Two people arrive that change things, and yeah. that's Tony Healy and Paul Cropper. So two days after the, the camera crew left, packed up and left, uh, Tony Healy and Paul Cropper, who are from now the Australian Institute of Parapsychological Research, Research, mm-hmm. um, and they had heard about the story and it just so happened that they were looking at heading up north because there was a Yowie story only eight kilometres from Humpty Doo. So they thought, well, you know, we're heading up that way. Let's let's go let's have a drop look. drop in. So the poor buggers, <laughs> they've arrived and in the driveway is um, Murph, the the tattooed biker, and he's like, oh, you media bastards, get off the property. They've had enough, right? Yeah. And you don't blame them. They've Absolutely. had a rough time. They've, they've not been paid for the story they've delivered. They've had strangers in their house for days. Yep. The poltergeist is going crazy. And they've still got people turning up on their doorstep yep. wanting to have a sticky beak. They've had enough. So luckily the, the guys had their, um, because they were researching Australian poltergeist cases and they wanted to let them know that they're not crazy, that this has happened in Australia before, right back into the 1800s. Um, and I look, I thoroughly recommend their book uh, called Australian Poltergeist. Geists. We will um, pop that up on the Facebook page so that you can see it. And a lot of our research has come from articles and stories provided by Tony and Paul. So they showed them all the the cases, the the files that they had, and they started to sort of settle down and um, feel a little bit of solace, I suppose, that they'd finally found someone who understood them. So the media had tried to portray the the family as being like drunken layabouts and, um, yeah, they were, in actual fact, very strong-minded and um, very capable people. It's just the media wanted to portray them as, yeah, they're all drunk all Not the time. Not trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, it didn't take long to convince the boys that um, there was action. It was quiet for a little while, but they they said to the the, the family, the residents said, you yeah, know, come and sleep on the lounge room floor at night and um, see what happens. But apparently partway through the night, there was a sudden staccato cry from a gecko. <laughs> and uh, apparently Paul said he had to peel Tony off the ceiling because he was absolutely <laughs> terrified. You meant, well, I mean, you're in a, a, a haunted place supposedly yeah. and you hear this noise. And that, I've got to say that happens quite often. We were at a place uh, with a group of people doing a sleepover not too long ago and there were some strange 
animal noises outside and everyone literally turned in unison in that direction and went, what the hell was that? And it was only because we weren't used to those noises and weren't quite sure what was making Mm. those noises that we immediately assumed that (laughs) we were being terrorised by something in the house, but obviously it wasn't. So apparently uh, during the next five days that they were staying there, uh, Kirsty was the one who was home most of the time, but they had about 30 objects that fell on them. Wow. And these were things like uh, there was a bullet uh, that appeared just above one of their heads and fell directly down onto their knee. So it was not like it had been thrown, the mm-hmm. project projectile. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking projectile vomit. No, pr- the um, trajectory, that's what I'm after, of the uh, item was not a thrown but a dropped one. And like the other poltergeist story reported on, which was the um, Pontefract one. Yes. These things seem to fall from midair, below mm-hmm. the ceiling, not mm-hmm. from the ceiling, but from below the ceiling. But there was no white powder mm-hmm. of human <laughs> human Ash. remains or whatever the <laughs> hell that was from the other case. You'll have to listen to that one. Go back and listen. Um, but most of the objects were familiar household items and there was one that they had which was a yellow light globe which fell out of nowhere at their feet onto cement but didn't break. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, they said, was something they didn't know. It's, it might have come from out the back of the garage, down the back somewhere, but there was no... Um, unknown or ports, so to speak. It was more like the translocation and relocation of items. Mm-hmm. They used to have a drawer at the back where they stashed what they call the frequent flyers. So there was things that were frequently thrown around, like the batteries and um, pieces of glass and things like that, and they would they'd take them out back to the barbecue area, pop them in the drawer, and I think we've got a photo of that somewhere too. And uh, sure enough, a day or two later, they'd be flying around the house again somewhere. Sometimes they would go into their bedrooms and the bedrooms would have been trashed and sometimes there's gravel on their beds. Wow. You would find it really difficult to try and work out at this point what the use of them trying to create a story from all of this and make it up would be worth to them. Look, and Tony and Paul were saying they were quite sincere people. They believed them. Yeah. Um, that they didn't feel like anyone was taking the mickey out of them or yeah. they were over it. They wanted it to stop. I now, mean, yeah, trashing the house continually is just you You would get to a point where even if you were making it up, you would go, I'm, I'm really sick of this. I've yeah. had enough. And there was one instance where Paul heard uh, the pebbles falling on the tin roof and then they fell out of thin air above their heads onto the ground. So it's like they mystically, magically came through the roof, appeared in the house and continued their fall. And that's something that is involved in physical mediumship. Yes. So is it possible that one of them was a physical medium and unaware? 
Um, one of the other things that they were talking about was, um, and that Paul and Tony checked, was uh, some of the sceptics had said that maybe they were putting these uh, small rocks and things on top of fans and that they would turn the fans on and uh, things would go skittering everywhere from the fans. And uh, as I said, that would be dangerous to do with a baby in the house, particularly yes. with knives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that they did check on top of the fans and that there was nothing there that they could see. Uh, some of the frequent flyers that flung around the place was the crucifix that Father Tom had left behind um, that, that would quite often go whizzing past people. <laughs> I sort of can't help but laugh at some of these. Um, and that one of the guys uh, said that he could almost incite the poltergeist to do things and he would take the, the Bible out to the back room and, and they were saying that the Bible was looking very tattered and torn and he would go to a different room and read the Bible and in other rooms, things would start flying around the place. Now, is this an aversion to religious objects or is this um, stop trying to get rid of me? Yes, good question. Because we found that in other stories we've researched where every time you open up a Bible or threaten to remove these entities, it just seems to aggravate them even more. So we've also got a few more people that have come in at this particular point in time just to see what's going on. Yeah, we've got uh, Nikki Voss, um, a news reporter who witnessed things, Tracy Farrah. Now, she was the one who had been collecting shells in Darwin uh, the day before, little brown shells, because she used to do arts and crafts sorts of stuff. And as she was sitting there talking to them, some of these little brown shells started to fall out of the, oh my gosh. the, the ether <laughs> onto her microphone. So... But there was too many people. And she also had really bad dreams for several nights afterwards. So Tony and Paul do not believe that they were hoaxes at work. And they said if that they were hoaxes, then they'd have to be first-rate conjurers um, as well as first-class actors. Yeah, this does take a lot of effort to keep going. That's the point of all of this. It wasn't something that was occurring just over a day or a week, uh, even a month. This was going on for months on end. So, yeah, it's it's hard to keep that going. In amongst all of this, of course, remember, this is a rental property. It doesn't belong to them. And this media story is firing up everywhere. So guess what happens? The landlord says, hello, hello. Yeah, what's this about broken windows and <laughs> drawings on the walls? What going on in my house? And my driveway? So he goes to check it out and he can't believe how trashed his place is. It just looks shocking. Now, even at this <laughs> there goes point. There the <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Even at this point, these people don't want to move out. Remember, they have nowhere else to go. So they have dug in and they have said, no, we're not leaving. And so the poor landlord then has to go to court to try and get them evicted. Now, he tries really hard, but the judge says he can't evict them even because there is so much damage to the property uh, because he actually believes the story that the families are giving him, that all of this has been caused by a poltergeist. Wow. So even a judge believes them. Yeah. So after surviving not only what the poltergeist has done to them, the scrutiny of the whole nation, all of these media people that have gone in and put cameras in their faces and an eviction notice from the landlord 
they eventually have had a gutful and they walk away on their own terms, leaving the house. And we don't seem to have any information on on what's happened to them now and whether it all followed them. I couldn't find anything to follow up. But I, I did find I did, did find you? I did find some information that apparently nothing ever happened within the house again. So uh-huh. that the house was uh, renovated. It is clean. Yep, it was renovated. It was cleared, cleaned, uh, ready for new rentees or rentors and nothing ever happened again Mm. in the house. And look, usually with uh, a poltergeist, you've got some like a prepubescent teen involved. Mm -hmm. We got not that. That wasn't there. Not there. Um, The residents, although a little bit rough around the edges, we like to call them diamonds in the rough, um, all seemed fairly stable except maybe for the grief of uh, Murphy over his mate Troy. Troy, yeah. But let's look back just a little bit further to who had the house before them. So the house was built in 1972 by Stavros Canaris um, and he was interviewed and he thought that maybe the poltergeist was the result of them being evicted from the house. Apparently his business went belly up and he lost their house that was um, their perfect house. They built it with a pool and you know, all the bedrooms. It was everything they had ever dreamed of owning and they lived there happily for 20 years. And he actually said, the bank took my blood, 30 years of hard work and the family still dreams of returning. Every night I'm there in my dreams. My wife is always there. It was our life. Wow. So... They're wondering if there was a bit of a Greek curse that might have been put onto the building. But they they did say that they didn't curse the house, but they may have cursed the banks. Right. Which, okay. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure the banks have been cursed many times. <laughs> um, but there, there is that... Um, that attachment of the fact that there, it was someone's beloved home that was forcibly taken from yes. them and caused heartache. And yes. that, that would leave uh, imprint. You imagine them packing up their possessions and going. Yep. Yep. Now, also, uh, there was the lady who was there who used to clean the house said that she recalled it being very spooky and having unnatural cold and cold spots in the house and also that doors seemed to open and close of their own volition. So was this when Stavros was there? This or was, after? seems to be in between. All right. Okay. Yeah. But another thought. Yeah. Kirsty and Andrew actually had phenomena happening before this house. Right. All right. So two years earlier in Bachelor in the Northern Territory, they had stones thrown through the front door of their house with sort of unnerving accuracy, um, and they couldn't work out who it was. And they assumed that it was some local Aboriginal teenagers because this pair were quite racist. 
Oh. Very racist. They used to have um, very anti-Aboriginal views. And you remember those times back then in the 80s? They used to do dreadful, dreadful Aboriginal jokes. Um, but they they decided that, you know, that's who it was. It was these, these local kids that are, that are trying to torment mm-hmm. them. So Andrew actually dressed up in camouflage gear oh, and no. went and hid in the bushes for several nights trying to capture who it was that was doing it. And Nobody ever came. Wow. Then, right, so they've, they've moved out of this and they've gone to the Central Coast. Now, I don't know if it's our Central Coast or another Central Coast because we've got a Central Coast just uh, near Newcastle. But um, Kirsty was working in a construction camp and where she was working, they would have coffee cups disappear. Now, look, I, I can see in the workplace coffee cups disappearing. It happens. Nobody wants to wash up. But she was finding them on top of cupboards filled with instant coffee, dried instant coffee out of the tin. So not all of them, but there were some. They'd be filled to the brim with Nescafe or International Roast. They can get <laughs> well, rid of, International yeah, Roast, they get can rid do of whatever. Much international Roast <laughs> as they can. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're coffee snobs. We love our coffee. <laughs> and also they would have knives disappear and they'd be found stabbed into the carcass of a pig in the cool room. Oh, gosh. So they were all wondering if that was just some psycho that was coming in and getting their frustration out and going, ee, 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 on the, um, that was meant to be the sound of a, somebody stabbing a pig, <laughs> not, not a squeaky bed. <laughs> but everyone, look, is in agreement that the, the weirdness of Humpty Doo began when Kirsty and Andrew yes, moved in. Yeah, everything was quiet until Kirsty and Andrew moved in. And now you're telling me that they have a history mm-hmm. of this wherever they go weird stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Now, we'll, we'll go back to the, the Aboriginal the thing that we were going on about there. Now, saying that some of the sorcerers or clever men would plague their enemies with showers of stones. Oh, mm. this is interesting. And on the property of Humpty Doo, now this is only Kirsty that saw this and she reported it, that she saw, now what did she, um, two very dark bush Aborigines is what she called them. <laughs> I know, right? Oh no! This is from the eighties, guys. Yeah, so no. please, don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't take it out on us. <laughs> I'm just reading the words. <laughs> and they were digging a hole next to the house. Now the house is seventy meters off the road, so they've come down this seventy meter driveway, and they're digging this hole. It's about um, six foot by two foot. So I don't know what that is in centimeters because I'm. I'm old. I know feet that's, quite well. That's a that, that's a um, grave hole side. Yeah, I suppose it is. It's, <laughs> it's about um, as big enough to bury someone yeah. in. <laughs> so when when she's gone, hey you, what you doing there? Um, apparently they got up and they silently walked away. And I was waiting for the story to say they disappeared into nothing. <laughs> but no, they got into a little orange car and drove off. <laughs> right. <laughs> I loved that aspect of the story. So they they couldn't find anything there. It looked like they dug something up and removed it. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And after that, they had the longest break in activity that they'd ever had. So were they removing a curse that had been placed there? Were they helping the residents of the place? Um, were they retrieving something in case the residents found it? Yeah. We don't know because whether they were helping is, or, yeah. or or what was going if on. If it was something sacred to them and you have these people moving into the site, mm. 
then they would probably want to take it away so mm. that it wasn't damaged or destroyed. And I remember because I was watching the APRIC conference with Tony and Paul and uh, somebody put up their hand and said um, that also the Greeks curse things by leaving some hair or um, special objects or something in the ground around the place. So maybe it was the Greek curse. I don't know. That's a big hole for a small object. <laughs> right, and it, there is actually someone who may have seen the poltergeist. Now, this is fairly on early on in the story, and that was someone called Brett Stiles. Um, he was a hardcore racist as well. Now, you've got to remember, <laughs> these guys are from Northern Territory. They're, <sighs> they're as dry as. Um, and uh, he was sitting outside at the back, barbecue area, probably had a few beers, and he saw what he described as a small black sphere, which was smaller than your fist, moving around outside, trailing behind it two feet of small pebbles. And they found these little white stones and things all over their cars out the front, and when they checked the driveway, it looked like someone had got a vacuum cleaner and hoovered up a furrow of these stones. stones. So um, he didn't see the the thing suck it up, but he could see where it had been sucked up from. Wow. So that's only his word, but that that was quite interesting. Mm. Mm. And one other piece of uh, interesting phenomena that I read about was that they'd made this old um, bottle opener out of a spark plug. Yeah. And apparently it was like tarnished and old and it was well used and cracking open the bottles. Uh, it would disappear on occasions and mm-hmm. when it came back it was always shiny, bright and new. Wow. Now, that that then brings up for me um, time slips. Has the poltergeist gone back to a time where it was newly made and brought it back? Or has it sat there with some spit and polish and cleaned it up? <laughs> or has the transference of it from one place to another Cleaned it. Yeah. Yeah. And they did have somebody that came in with a thermal camera and the items that were shown uh, to have been thrown, like they'd immediately go over the thermal camera and it would show that the heat was even throughout the whole object. And they tried experiments of picking it up and getting people to then throw it. And you could see where people's fingers had been on it and it'd be uneven heat. And the, mm-hmm. the guy said the only way they could get it that evenly heated would be to pop it in a microwave or a pot of water or, and heat it up so it was all even, then use tongs to throw it. So, yes, yeah. I've seen those pictures. Yeah. Um, they are, yeah, quite unique. But I thought uh, that Tony and Paul sort of summarised things up quite nicely with um, the, the possibilities and it lined up a, a lot with my thoughts as well. So what was the Humpty Doo poltergeist? Was it um, Troy? Was it his ghost? Because his mother believed it was. She actually came to the house and went to the bathroom where the messages were being spelt out and sat down to to talk to her son who had died so horrifically. And as she was down there, she had a shard of glass fall past the side of her head and she said it felt like someone was caressing my hair. She wasn't hurt. But I, I, I'm sorry, a shard of glass to let your mum know you're okay is just not 
something that makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. Now, you did know that they tried to exercise the ghost themselves. Did they? They did. I don't think it was through the Roman Catholic method or anything like that. We might just call it a bogan exorcism. (laughs) Apparently, um, yeah, they, they got really annoyed with the fact that the the ghost had spelt out Troy, their friend's name, and they decided to do their own exorcism. So they didn't believe it was Troy that was haunting them. Uh, Why would he? He was a friend. He wouldn't hurt them. He wouldn't frighten them. So they decided it was something evil. And it was almost like the poltergeist was listening to them and, and pretending to be Troy sometimes. So they've gone through the house. They've prepared their words carefully. You're not Troy, you piss-weak bastard. (laughs) Why don't you fuck off? (laughs) But interestingly, after that, all references to Troy stopped. stopped. Even the graffiti continued on, but they never mentioned Troy again. Wow. Okay, that's really interesting. That puts a big twist on things. Right, the second possibility. Was it Murphy? Mm-hmm. Um, did he have latent abilities that nobody knew about? He was the one who was the best mate of Troy that died a horrible death. All of this kicked off within weeks of Troy dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the accident was actually only two kilometres from the house. He was angry with life um, and he could have produced almost like a thought form. Mm-hmm. And the the energy is soaked up by that, and it's his anger that's throwing the things around, and that would show why he's protecting the baby because he would care for the baby. Mm-hmm. Was it Kirsty and Andrew? Did they have an attachment that was following them from somewhere else, or was it an Aboriginal curse because of their racist, cruel tongues, or maybe it was a Greek curse? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Or just did the property have a, a history of weirdness? Because, as I said, the, the other lady had had things going down as well, but they weren't terribly strange. Or was it just that that stormy night with the electricity going off everywhere and the combination of everything that had happened to that little group of people created a poltergeist form at that very moment in time? Ooh. For me, there's too many witnesses to um, believe that this was a fake story. Yep. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I would love to know more in that uh, I'd love to get to the the core of who or what was causing this. But like you said, too many witnesses, too many strange things. I don't think it is feasible for a family to continue a routine like this over an extended period of time. It's just not worth their while. They're not making any money out of this. No one believes them anymore. You'd think it would have just stopped. They became the joke of the town. Yeah. Um, What you're saying is that there seems to be a history with Kirsty and her hubby, wherever they go, things are going on. Um, I think there are so many things we don't know about poltergeists and where it all stems from. And, of course, we have this Indigenous aspect that Mm. lays on top of all of this and we know nothing about that, absolutely nothing, and how they protect their land and... um, And their people. And their people, yeah. So more questions than answers. Again. Yeah. But is it a true haunting? I think so. I think so too. 
thank you for joining us on this episode. Please make sure you have subscribed, liked, and left us a fabulous review. And we will be back next week with... We're going to be heading to Scotland and to Edinburgh, where we are going to be taking a trip to Greyfriars Kirkyard to explore the hauntings of Mackenzie's ghost. What's a kirkyard? It's a churchyard. Oh, it's called Kirk. Kirk in Scottish. It's oh. called a kirkyard. Oh, they have learned something new. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.